God's grace, peace, and mercy be with you on this day of Pentecost through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. One of my favorite memories of chapel here for the school was the day I, I cleverly made a way to make water spring forth from a rock. It was several years ago, and the theme I chose that particular year was water. All the different stories about water in the Bible and how God used water to cleanse, give life, and save. So on this particular Wednesday morning, the story was Moses and the people at Mount Horeb. Uh, Exodus 17, verse 6. Israel is wandering in the Sinai desert and there's no water and the people start complaining to Moses and, and uh, he cries up to God, Lord, what do I do with these people? They want to kill me. They think I've brought them out here to die. But God said, take the staff I gave you and strike the rock over there and water will come forth and the people will drink from it and live. Well, there were these two big rocks at the side of the Ed building, not far from the garden hose. So I figured if I could put the end of the hose underneath the two rocks in between them and then turn the water on, it'll look like water coming out of the rocks. So I had all the kids come out and stand near the Ed building, and I told Axel to be Moses. And when I say strike the rock with the big tree branch that we found, he did that as we read through the account in Exodus. And just at that moment, he hit the rock, I turned on the water, and voila, water came flowing out from the rocks, and the children were mesmerized. It was a perfect way to show them what it might have looked like to be there and witness that miracle, although the kids knew that it was just a hose between two rocks. In northwest Oregon, where kids grow up with plenty of water year-round, it's harder to appreciate what Israel went through in the Sinai Desert. There are many other stories of Israel's survival in the desert and how God provided for all their needs in an environment where they would have died on their own pretty quickly. You know, water isn't just water. It's life. God's people Israel remembered that lesson very well from that day forward. And for generations have celebrated it at the climax of a multi-day festival known as the Festival of Booths. Not those kind of booths. These kind of booths. Little walled shelters with leaves or plants as roofs. In Hebrew, it's Sukkot, or the Feast of Tabernacles, Festival of Shelters, Festival of Tents. Uh, In short, it's a Jewish holiday of remembrance of God's provision for the people in the desert. Now, it takes place on the 15th day of the seventh month, which varies from late September to late October on the Jewish calendar. It's a festival where Jews in Galilee and throughout Judea would make that mile-long, miles-long trek up into the hill country to Jerusalem to celebrate. And, you know, more and more I'm learning just how much of a party town Jerusalem really was and still is. You know, party in the 
reverent devotion to God sense, right? And you can experience that too and learn more about that if you join me and Jill on our journey to the Holy Land in January of 2022. I know. Traveling overseas is probably the last thing you're all thinking of doing anytime soon, but don't worry, we'll get there. Anyway, it was the last day of the Sukkot, the climax of the Festival of Booths, where the people remembered what God did for them through his servant Moses at the rock at Horeb. It was, it was on this last day of that festival that Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. I would encourage you to get your Bibles and open up to chapter 7 of John. If you look at chapter 7 of John, our verses today from the gospel reading, chapter 7, verses 37 through 39. Not a very long reading, is it? Very short. And it's amongst all this other stuff in chapter 7. This rather short reading, 37 through 39, comes up every three years on Pentecost Sunday. And while there's nothing wrong with these brief verses on their own, if you're you're not familiar with the larger story around it, you might think that this is yet another sermon from Jesus where he stands up in the middle of of a crowd somewhere and proclaims some big truth. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. What comes before this, though, can give you a much bigger picture of who Jesus is and how he chooses to deal with things. Except for verses 37 through 39, the rest of chapter 7 doesn't get read on Sunday. So you know what's coming next, don't you? Yeah, you're going to hear it. Now, don't tune out and don't turn it off. You don't want to miss Jesus deceiving his brothers about attending this festival. Jesus deceiving, you say? Oh, he never does that. Well, let me put it this way. He, well, I don't know how to put it really. (laughs) I'm just going to let the scripture speak for itself. So, you've had a little time now, you can follow along in your Bibles at home. John chapter 7, verse 1. Later, Jesus went around in Galilee. He didn't want to travel in Judea because the Jews were trying to kill him. The Jewish festival of booths was near. So his brothers told Jesus, leave this place, go to Judea, and there let your disciples see the works you're doing. Nobody goes on doing things secretly when he wants to be known publicly. If you do these things, let the world see you. Not even his brothers believed in him. It isn't the right time for me yet, Jesus told them. But any time is right for you. The world can't hate you, but it hates me because I tell the truth about it that it is doing wrong. You go up to the festival. I'm not going to this festival because it isn't the right time for me yet. After telling them this, he did stay in Galilee, but after his brothers had gone up to the festival, 
he went up too. Not publicly, but without being seen. So the Jews were looking for Jesus in the crowd at the festival. Where is he? They kept asking. And there was much whispering about him in the crowds. He's a good man, some said. But others, no, he deceives the people. Yet nobody would talk about him in public because everybody was afraid of the Jews. But when the festival was already half over, Jesus went up to the temple and started to teach. The Jews were surprised. How can he know so much, they asked, when he hasn't even been to school? What I teach doesn't come from me, Jesus answered them, but from him who sent me. If anyone wants to do his will, he'll know whether my teaching is from God or I speak my own thoughts. Anyone who speaks his own thoughts tries to glorify himself, but he, he who wants to glorify the one who sent him tells the truth, and there's nothing wrong in him. Didn't Moses give you the law? Yet none of you does what the law tells you. Why do you want to kill me? There's a devil in you, the crowd answered. Who wants to kill you? I did one thing, Jesus answered them, and you're all surprised about it. Moses gave you circumcision. Not that it came from Moses, but from your ancestors. And you circumcise a person on the Sabbath. If a child is circumcised on a day of rest to keep the law of Moses, do you feel bitter toward me because I made all of a man well on a Sabbath? Don't judge by what you see, but be fair when you judge. Then some of the men from Jerusalem said, Isn't he the man they want to kill? But here he speaks in public, and they don't say a thing to him. Surely the rulers haven't found out he's the promised Christ, have they? Now we know where this one comes from. But when the promised Christ comes, nobody knows where he's from. You know me, Jesus called aloud as he was teaching in the temple, and you know where I come from. I didn't by myself decide to come, but there's one who is real who sent me. You don't know him, but I know him because I come from him, and he sent me. Then they tried to arrest him. But nobody laid a hand on him because the right time hadn't come yet for him. But many in the crowd believed in him. When the promised Christ comes, they asked, will he do more miracles than this one has done? The Pharisees heard the people muttering such things about him. So the ruling priests as well as the Pharisees sent their men to arrest him. I'll be with you just a little longer, said Jesus. Then I go to him who sent me. You'll be looking for me and won't find me. And where I am, you can't come. The Jews asked one another, Where's he intending to go, saying we won't find him? He doesn't intend to go to our people scattered among the non-Jews and teach the non-Jews, does he? What does he mean by saying, You'll be looking for me and won't find me? And where am I, you can't come? And here's our verses for today. On the last day, the great day of the festival, as Jesus was standing there, he called out loud, If you're thirsty, come to me and drink. If you believe in me, streams of living water will flow from you, as the Bible has said. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. The Spirit hasn't come yet, because Jesus hadn't been glorified yet. My friends, this isn't Jesus 
just standing up and proclaiming another sermon in our typical way of, you know, our Shakespearean mindset, right? This is God in the flesh crying out to those people at that festival and to us, imploring us to quench our spiritual thirst with the true water of life, himself. And here's why I believe he did it this way. It's agonizing, isn't it, to watch someone suffer? To watch someone you love suffer? It's heart-wrenching. We wish we could do more, or we wish we could do something more to help. It's even more agonizing if that someone we're close to and love very much is suffering because of something they're doing to themselves, harming or even destroying their bodies and minds, and they won't admit it. There's not always much we can do, and still our heart aches for them. How much more agonizing was it for Jesus then to attend that festival of booths? Jesus had been traveling around Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem for two and a half years. He'd been calling people to repent of their bent and twisted ways before it's too late. Because, as you remember, he said the kingdom of God is at hand now, today. He healed people. He did signs and wonders for people to see that he is indeed the promised Messiah. But people rejected him, especially the religious leaders in Jerusalem. And if you noticed at the beginning of chapter 7, even Jesus' brothers didn't believe he was anything special. Which raises all kinds of questions about Jesus' family. What kind of a family was this? How dysfunctional was it? I mean, we know his mother Mary believed that he was something special. And we don't hear much about his earthly father, Joseph. He doesn't seem to be in the picture here, in in these verses. But he's got these brothers So Jesus is hanging out at the house for a while, and you've got his mother Mary in there somewhere who believes, but these brothers don't. How did Jesus feel about this? It's a strange situation, but it gets a little stranger. He tells them one thing and then does another. I'm not going to this festival, he says. And then he goes. Secretly, though, and we know why. It says why he went. Because he's under threat from the authorities who want to catch him. So that's understandable. It's just Jesus not being totally upfront with people, you know, it just doesn't seem right. He could have told them that he wasn't going to the festival, or that, I mean that he was going to go, but secretly, so that he wouldn't be seen right away. He could have told them that. At any rate, it must have been hard for Jesus to be rejected in his own house, let alone by so many in his own hometown and the surrounding area. It's from his compassionate heart, though, that he gives flowing, living water to people. Towards the end of this festival, the big finale where the people are commemorating the water that came from the rock at Horeb, 
with people singing loudly and trumpets blaring and all the rites and ceremonies going on in the temple, Jesus cries out in the midst of all that, Hey, I'm the living water. If you're thirsty, come to me and I'll give you living water and you'll never die. I'm the true water of life. John adds here that Jesus said these things about the Spirit whom those who believe in him were about to receive. And that happens later in Acts, right? That's why we hear these two verses from John on Pentecost every three years. Jesus is pointing us to the Spirit whom he'll give to the people in Acts and whom we also receive faith to believe and live. This festival of booths, Jesus said all this, was about six or seven months away from the last festival Jesus would ever attend in the capital city, the Passover. By the climax of that festival, Jesus would be dead and buried, bearing the sin, death, and spiritual thirst of all creation as our substitute under God's righteous wrath against disobedience and all sin. The one who is the source of living water suffered such thirst during the ordeal of his arrest, beating, and crucifixion that his his tongue stuck to the inside of his mouth. But remember, too, when the soldiers stuck him in the side, blood and water flowed out to cover our sin and give life to all who would listen and believe that he is who he says he is. The Son of God who came to take away the sin of the world. Now Jesus gives his Holy Spirit to all who drink from him and who believe the good news about what he's done and why. You could say every Sunday is a feast. Well, all right, I mean, it's kind of, it may seem a little cliched. And you've heard Pastor Kiesling, Pastor Walt, Pastor Vern, all the other pastors through the ages probably tell you, at, and I've said it at one time or another, every Sunday is Easter, right? Because Jesus is risen. Every Sunday is a Christmas because Jesus is born, right? Well, every Sunday is like a Pentecost because we receive more of the Spirit every time we hear what God has done for us in a language we can understand. Jesus, the living water who satisfies your spiritual thirst and mine. But what if you say, my thirst just doesn't seem to ever be satisfied. I don't feel like Jesus loves me and that God even cares about me. It's only through the Spirit's saving work that any of us are able to even detect or tell that we're spiritually thirsty, or even come to Jesus, be baptized, and, he, and have a, a single mustard seed amount of faith. So if that's you, which it should be all of us who acknowledge that, yes, I don't know everything about Jesus. I don't know everything about God. But I believe He is who He says He is. I believe he saved me. Then you you have him and his supernatural power and presence in you 
that works faith and more of it. That's the promise and the hope connected with your baptism. The problem is our sinful nature from birth always wants to turn us away from Jesus and the work of His Spirit and get us to deny our thirst and seek satisfaction and fulfillment in other places and in other things and in other people and make, and make them gods to worship and to be a servant to, even to be a slave under. And we don't want that. As your pastor, I cry out to you as Jesus did. Don't deny your thirst. Don't pretend everything is okay as you secretly hide your dark thoughts and deeds and pain. Please don't fill your emptiness with unhealthy relationships. Don't consume your life and time with liquids and solids that are the opposite of living water. And you know what those things are. Rather, come to Jesus and drink from Him. Drink often, as much as you can, as often as you can. His love overflows onto you. He pours out His love and life onto you, not in little drops or trickles, as it might seem to you because of sin. But hear Him and believe what He says. He gives it all for you. He donates his whole, his whole self to you. And he doesn't hold any of himself back. So refreshed and renewed by his spirit, out of your heart then flows love for others and your family and your neighbors. And not the least of all, the courage and confidence to invite those who don't have this living water yet to drink from Jesus as well. Amen. May the peace of God, which passes all human understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus.